You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I am John. And tonight we're going to be looking at two more episodes of Ultra Q. Episodes number 14, Tokyo Ice Age, and number 15, Kanigan's Cocoon. But uh, I just want to—I just want to say before we get into this that we record these in advance. So when we're recording this here in February of 2020, one, <laughs> 2021, not that far in advance, 20 February, yeah, <laughs> yeah 2021. Um, you know, this is really not due till I think the end of the end of the year on the calendar. So, um, you don't the notice year, 2021 fact... or 2023. <laughs> I think it's 2021. I don't, <laughs> you don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. We're still working the invisible man on the output right now. So, uh, yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. But, but the reason I'm giving you this warning is we have been over two months since mm-hmm. we have been able to record this um and and this is uh this is because uh john unfortunately with the sign of the times i got covid19 so i know i wanted to, to be the popular phone. kid so i i went and got covid and you know what folks just don't do it it's really not worth it no <laughs> it's no. horrible <laughs> no in all honesty it was so, wretched it, it makes had, any uh, any flu you got pneumonia, or right? Cold, yeah. Any flu or cold you've ever had will pale in comparison. Uh, it was just awful. And then a week after that, I a week after I started recovering from COVID, I got pneumonia, which is due to COVID. So I had that to play with. I'm yeah. still suffering the effects of it. So so uh, we we'll, we'll try to cut the coughs out, but uh, you know, yeah. <clears throat> it's, yeah exactly. Anyway, take take care, people. I. I have a sad feeling that by the time you hear this, we won't have magically all been vaccinated and the world safe just yet. So right. um, it, it, it's it's real. Yeah. It's, wear it's your masks. People. Wear a couple of them if you can. Wash your hands. Keep stay your away from other people. And, and stay home or at least away from yeah. people. Go out and hike in nature with nobody else. Yeah. However, it also means I haven't watched this show in two months. No. <laughs> There you go. I did what are watch we doing them. here? I, I I don't know. I watched the show <laughs> two months ago, or more than two months ago, actually, and you know, took up my notes, and then things happened and happened and happened and happened, and we were gonna finally record last week, and then technical problems happened, and I watched them again before the show last week. So I have I have watched them a week ago, but uh, shocking how my notes, which I took two months ago don't ring many bells so we're gonna see how this goes uh this might be uh this might be a quick one i don't know yeah my notes look very alien we're gonna start with episode 14 tokyo ice age and i really wish we were starting with number 15 because i'd rather end (laughs) with tokyo ice age but but uh nope we're we're gonna start with tokyo ice age and the story goes something like this it is a beautiful, sunny summer's day at Haneda Airport 
when first a jet runs into trouble because its flaps are frozen, causing the plane to explode on approach. And then, in a mysterious yet strangely familiar trail of black smoke, the airport completely freezes over. Yuriko is out looking for a human interest story when she finds one in the form of a cheeky boy. He's come to the big city to find his father. His father is a seasonal worker who hasn't returned after six months. At Jun's air service, three totally unconnected things happen. Ipe reads a newspaper which has stories about a jewel robbery, an unusual warm spell at the South Pole, and Jun and Ipe find a drunk passed out in the plane. Yuriko takes the boy to her newspaper, but the editor doesn't care. There's a big story in the frozen airport. Find someone who's been to a frozen place and ask their opinion. The boy has disappeared anyway. Yuriko goes to see June, who went to the South Pole last year. He has a hypothesis. The unusual warm spell at the South Pole is due to Peligula, the monster he encountered there, migrating to the North Pole, and that he has perhaps stopped in Japan along the way. That's a great hypothesis, says Yuriko, and phones it into her editor, who informs her that the cause has already been found. A nuclear reactor disaster at the South Pole has sent glacial water and ice northwards toward Japan. Mystery solved, and apparently nothing newsworthy in that story, so he assigns her to getting that boy's story again. She finds him and feeds him back at the newspaper offices. He tells her that his father was a famous Zero pilot during the war, but now he's just a worker with a drinking problem. Pegula arrives in Tokyo and starts freezing and wrecking things, including the newspaper building. The editor tries to get the authorities to use Pegumum H, the South Pole moss-derived chemical that can defeat Pegula. Unfortunately, Pegumum H has not been approved by the academic society, and they must rely instead on conventional means, such as jet fighters attacking the monster in the streets of Tokyo. The editor decides to take it upon himself to save Tokyo, and with Pegimon H, and tries to get hold of Jun to arrange to pick some up. But phones, radio, and television are all out, and he and his team must drive there. Meanwhile, at Jun's air service, the drunk awakens and just happens to be both the boy's missing father, famed Japanese ace Sawamura, and the jewel thief Ipe was reading about in the paper. He planned to steal Jun's plane to escape, but had one too many and passed out in the cockpit. Pegula wrecks the car the editor and Yuriko are traveling in. They can't get out, but the boy, traveling with them, can. They send him to get help, but first, swing by Jun's air service and tell him to go pick up some Pegumen H in the Japanese Alps. The boy arrives and collapses, delivering his message, unaware that his father is there. His father, shamed, still steals Jun's plane, but now he flies to collect the Pegumen H and then crashes it himself and Jun's plane into Pegula's mouth. Pegula leaves. Sometime later, the boy is leaving for home via train. His father's remains in the train seat next to him. The end. Okay, well, uh, Tokyo Ice Age. Tokyo Ice Age. What do you think of Tokyo Ice Age? I shed a tear when the Cessna 172 was uh, blown up. <laughs> I feel sorry for June. I mean, I know it's not really his. Air- I don't think it's his airline. I, I don't know. Does he own it? I, I, am, I have not a feeling 100% that. I'm sure, but. I have a feeling that he does. 
I just, I don't know. I just okay. Have a well, in that case, like, I hope it's insured. I hope so too, especially against monster attack in Japan. That must be a, like a special yeah. rider on your policy. <laughs> I wonder if they have such things. You know, <laughs> I'm sure somebody who bought a policy with monster insurance in it. Uh, <laughs> I would, I'd pay for that. It, you know, if it wasn't much, I'd pay for that. Just you know, for for giggles. No, no, oh, I've yeah. got a monster rider on my policy. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, yeah. I would. It there's a market uh, there. Yeah, definitely. There's a there. Oh, there's a fan market there. You know, yeah. I think that's mm. actually more valid than like your own uh, plot on the moon or uh, you know a square mile of Mars. If you could get a real insurance company to underwrite it, and I mean they write it in such a way that you know basically Godzilla has to trample your house. You know, it's yeah, just exactly. free money for them. Exactly, even free a dollar a month would be. And it's a. And it's a cool insurance policy you can frame and put on your wall. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Gold certificate and everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, Toho that's, insurance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go talk to State Farm about this one. That's I, a good idea. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're always looking for new markets to get into that, that are low risk and, exactly. uh, and high profit. <laughs> of course, when they turn you down, you're going to have to think, wait a minute. Do they know something I don't? Hmm. Good point. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> I I mean I didn't hate this episode. It was it was all right. I the, the coincidences were worse than usual, I think. Uh well, you know, it was even for the shortness of the episode and, and how they tend to write these things. Yeah, it was pretty quick jumping to the conclusion that it's Pegula. Uh but still uh, it was all right. And what was it in the end? Was it because Pegula decided to go to the North Pole because he wanted to winter there? Or is it because a a nuclear reactor blew up in the South Pole? Well, there was a, a throwaway line there, U.S. and Soviet Antarctic mining of uranium. So maybe they disturbed him. Maybe there was a reactor accident. I kind of doubt it, but maybe. Okay, maybe. Yeah. All right. It, it's possible. I just, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of times on these shows, when the hero jumps to a conclusion, it's right. Oh, yeah, it does you know, help they, the They're never wrong. I mean, it may be a wild-ass guess, but it's usually has to be right. But here, they're like, no, no, they, they, they did have a nuclear accident, apparently. So maybe, you know, six and one half dozen others. He's right that it's Pegula, but he's wrong about why Pegula has decided to come visit. I, it could be, yeah. I don't know. I actually kind of appreciate the fact that they brought Pegula back. Oh, yeah, yeah. It just, I mean, I know it's saving on costumes, but yeah, they didn't destroy I, him last time. They just ran him off. Exactly. And I like the way that he causes metal things to levitate, you know, spinning the car around, causing the airplane to freeze in space or in, in, in the air. Well, remember? Crash. Yeah. Remember, he did that in the original one. Yeah, that's what I mean. Remember so the I, Jeeps I like and that. stuff? Yeah. Yep. I never have figured out why that is. I thought it was like Ugh. a storm. But he's so cold he causes molecules to stop vibrating. I don't know. Yeah, the plane freezing in spot was inexplicable. <laughs> that's that's the best word I can come up for it. And like all of the airport instantly freezing over with uh icicles and stuff wasn't also uh quite amazing. Well, I mean, yeah, we are we are splitting hairs on two crazy things, but I mean, if you freeze a plane, I can see it not functioning and crashing. 
Yes, but it's not going to hover. You know, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the hovering part that bugs me. Mm-hmm. That's the bit. It's like, all right, what, why is it hovering? It's frozen. I got it. Yeah. There's no big icicle grounding it to the ground. <laughs> See if they'd done that. Yeah, good point. Good point. That was that was the bit that was weird. Oh, well, you know, it's more fantastical if, if it just freezes in space. I did like that in the uh, in the, the frozen uh, uh, paintings, I guess you would call them, of the photographs of the Ashland Airport. They did keep the uh, SAS and Lufthansa uh, logos on the planes. You could just make them out in a couple yeah. places. Yeah, yeah. It, it looked like they just took pictures of, of Haneda mm-hmm. Airport and, and, and painted over they, the top. They did a decent job. Oh, yeah. I like those. Airbrushing it. Yeah. I like those. That those was a good. nice uh, nice effect. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was, again, it was, the effects are the same quality they've been throughout the show uh, and on par and, and quite good, all things considered. Mm-hmm. I always feel bad about saying that. It's like, oh, the special effects are quite good. And then I feel like, going, considering it's a man in a rubber suit. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Shot in black and white in 1965. Yeah. It, yep. uh, but it was quite nice. Let's see. This could be quick. Let me t- yeah. look over my alien-looking notes here. Oh, the Pegumen H. I love the fact <laughs> that the editor of a newspaper gets on the phone. It's like, hey, you know what we need? We need Pegumen H because uh, that's what stops it. We know that from the last time this happened down at the South Pole. You may have read my story in the paper. And they go, well, I'm sorry, that has not been cleared by the Scientific <laughs> Academy. So uh, we can't uh. use that. So we're just going to bomb Tokyo. Next monster to fight on Ultra Q will be bureaucracy. <laughs> exactly. That's like they're crashing through the United States. Like, I'm sorry, the FDA has not released that for general use in monsters yet. We're going to have to have some clinical trials. Right. And, uh, so here's a case of ammunition and go at it. Yeah, it has no effect, but go yeah. at it. <laughs> yeah. We know what bullets and bombs will do to the people of Tokyo. <laughs> exactly. And the buildings and everything else. But, you know, we're good with it. We're very friendly yeah. with the insurers. Yeah, but, but the Pegaman H, no, no, yeah, no can't no, do that. Mm, Too, risky. Yeah. Too risky. Yeah. Too risky. I I also like the, and I think I detected a hint of it in your in your chortle during the recap. I'll go to the Japanese Alps and pick some up for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, they just have it just sitting around out there, apparently. And where are the Japanese Alps? I actually didn't look that up. Um I mean, any mountain I think range? They're talking about the central mountain range. Yeah, okay. I think the high parts of the range. It's maybe not like they're short in mountains north. over there. No, no. I suspect that there's more than one. Yeah, uh, but maybe, maybe there's this unwritten thing that June and the editor both know where in the Japanese Alps they're conducting their research on Pegumen H. Yes, that's the best I can come up with. Yeah, that's got to be it. Because yeah. It was not not only. I mean, first off, do phones go out because it's and TV and radio because it's cold? I don't know. I mean, I live in well, Arizona, but you've been no, in the Dakotas. They so. wouldn't. They wouldn't unless the snow was so heavy it collapsed the antennas. But uh, uh, Pegula's strange electromagnetic forces could probably knock out radio and television, and possibly even. Did he phone. have some sort of electromagnetic? field when he was at the south pole he did didn't he actually well i mean yeah he they was did, no 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 they detected temperature too. drops yeah he's temp- temperature drops like crazy I, which of course that makes you again sneeze. i guess if the it's cars are out. magnetic yeah well they're metal iron they're ferrous yeah so yeah yeah that could be it yeah, yeah that that is a thing with uh 
the Japanese, they do like that whole, oh, it's cold, let's sneeze. I think that's also... Oh, I'm a small child, I need to wipe my nose because it's snotty. Yeah. (laughs) I've seen that... I've seen that on many shows. Sudden cold snap, and then they all they all sneeze. It, exactly. Yeah, it must be left over from Kabuki theater or something. I don't know, but uh, I think I've seen another in European and American shows too. You know, it's cold out. Oh, shoo! You know that sort of stuff. But still, you do occasionally hear that, um, but not it, as much these perhaps. days. No, no. I think they figured out now, uh, and just gonna go out there on the science bandwagon here. Getting cold does not cause the common cold. Yeah, well, you're fighting a losing battle there. I still, unfortunately, know plenty of people who believe that. My dad, who was a well-educated and intelligent man, was convinced that, that there was some correlation between shifting from high temperature to cold temperatures rapidly. That made you more susceptible to colds. Huh. I mean, I don't, he don't. He didn't think it caused it, but he, 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 he really believed it. And I don't think it was just as an excuse to keep the thermostat in the house at a disgustingly low level. Fifty-two. Um, <laughs> yeah, so something then, like that. And then off really, in the, the summertime. Uh, yeah, we did not have the heat on in the summertime. No, it's like, or but, air conditioning. Uh, yeah. Air conditioning, luxury, swamp cooler. Air conditioning when I was a Only kid. Only days yep. don't end in a Y. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, those were the days. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? No, <laughs> no, that's that's uh, fodder for another podcast, I'm sure. Yes, yes, our uh, swamp cooler <laughs> podcast, um, special six part series, or stupid things people still believe, an infinite part series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd actually like that to do that podcast, but uh, it would probably get my blood pressure up too high. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, after a while, you'd just be like, well, yep. Uh, whatever. Let's see. I was happy to see so the. You... Uh, oh, I was going to say, I was happy to see the uh, Japanese Self Defense Force Air Force uh, F 86 Sabres were zipping around. Saw some real footage mm-hmm. in there for, for a while. while. For a while, yeah, until they were completely uh, undone by the uh, fantastical powers of Pegula. Yes. If only they'd had a Cessna. Yes. They'd have been able to get a lot. <laughs> and an authentic Zero pilot. I like oh. the fact that they mention a World War II uh, ace, a pilot yeah. ace, a, a hero mm-hmm. in the show. Yeah. I like that. And it it was... Although it was kind of sad that at the same time he'd become some sort of a, I'm guessing when he says seasonal worker, they're talking about somebody who lives in the country, farms the land, and in the off season they go into Tokyo to find manual labor. Yes, that's exactly that's it. What it felt like. Yep, yep, that is exactly it. I mean, we think of seasonal labor here as people who go to the country to. I know. Do the yeah. Crops. Come into the U.S. and get a. Special passport, if they still even have those. Special visa, pardon me. And uh, pick yeah. crops for a while and then go back. Yep. All the yeah. way around. Yeah. But uh, this was, I guess, the situation in Japan at that time when they were mm-hmm. still making that transition. And, of course, he's got a drinking problem. And I was going to say, I wouldn't be too shocked if there's still some people that uh, do that. But there has got to be very few of them. 
So I know in most of the smaller villages in, in Japan, it's mostly old people. Uh, most of the young folks mm-hmm. have gone into the city for better jobs. And they can be a salaryman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They all the fun and excitement that is. <laughs> work harder than their parents could ever dream of. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. Just off trivia hand, I know this is this is totally stupid thing. Thinking of dumb things people believe, <laughs> but I I finally verified that this is that this is false. I had always heard that you know zero is obviously an English word, right? And Japanese zero, and of course the Japanese planes had great big red dots on them. Yes, the rising of sun, imperial of Japan. Yes, so. They were not called zeros because of that. The plane actually is called a zero. Mitsubishi, that's, that is actually what the production of the, the plane was. I think they also might have called it like an that was, We something. called them that. They also called it Zeke is also correct. So, of some, for some reason. But it's weird. Hmm. It ruins my A6 whole World War history. Yeah. I just thought that was some, I want to say derogatory term, but, you know, our stupid boys in the military see a big old <laughs> O on there and call it a zero. <laughs> this is how I always envisioned it. Cause, yeah, yeah, it just means I was raised the on first MASH model. and not war films. Yeah, the Navy, Navy plane, too, if I remember right. But, yeah, they had all sorts of I uh, don't remember if it was aircraft. It was a killer plane at the beginning of the war. No, no pun intended. We oh, yeah. We had nothing that could batch it. Scourge of the sky. Oh, yeah, it was a... Uh, it was a, quite a, uh, a formidable enemy, very maneuverable, uh, carried decent firepower, fairly inexpensive, so they could make a lot of them. All that, all that uh, wood and uh, rice paper, yeah. Um, yeah, wood, canvas, whatever they made them out of. It was very lightweight. Yeah. I think what really is kind of sad, they could have just added one more coincidence in this story, and June could have had a zero under a tarp at his airport. Oh. <laughs> so that the guy could have stolen that and, and done a zero into the into Pegula. I wonder if that would be considered bad taste. Uh, I mean, you already kamikaze it with the Cessna, so... I I think that it, it would have uh, cost more simply because they would have had to come up with the cockpit of a, um, a zero, and uh, they would have had to have had another model built to shoot, you know, crashing into Pegula. So I suppose it would have added quite a bit of extra cash. It's, it's a possibility. They've had the, the Cessna before. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess we should mention the ending. I, that is really, uh, yeah, that was, uh, um, it's like, well, the, a the double up is, downer. Yeah. I mean, it was only until the very last shot that the, the boy seems to actually, um, I don't know, maybe because he's away from other people, kind of let his guard down and he's, he's sad all of a sudden, or he just kind of looked wistful. But Yeah, so yeah. If, if you haven't seen this scene, basically uh, the dad dies. And although it, it's not obvious in the, it's not obvious like in my recap, the boy arrives and collapses and never notices that he collapses into his father's arms, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. And his father sees his son, who he's, you know, has been away from for six months and feels all bad and decides to save the day. And so his son never knows that he found his yeah. dad until he's dead. And then, you know, 
the dad dies. The next shot we see, they're all showing the boy off on the train. And it's all happy times. And come see us again. And it was great. Saying that, saying that about 300 times <laughs> as they... Uh, as the train pulls out and then as the train pulls out, then the camera kind of comes down to the seat next to the boy. And it says, you know, the remains of his father's name on there. And it's like, wow, that is uh, dark. (laughs) Yeah. But I get, he's taking him home for the family shrine or whatever, but uh, it's, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a downer ending, except they were all so happy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah. So I'm going to assume that they told him that his father was incredibly heroic and saved all of Japan by doing that. Well, he did. Yeah. To be fair, to be fair, he uh, he sacrificed his life so Jun didn't have to. So Yeah, exactly. Cuz I don't know what Jun would have done, but uh, you know, we were kind of in the you got a problem. You got a problem. I think he would have had somebody in the uh he would have had uh, somebody throw the bomb at the uh, the monster. That's what he would have done. <laughs> there you go. Catapult or something. Yeah. No, just just have his uh, trebuchet. Oh, Ipe? Yeah, just have his buddy open the door and drop it out. Ipe, Ipe, yeah. And have Ipe could, drop it on hang the monster. Out yeah, on the wheels. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> a little barnstorming. Hold on. In a snowstorm. Exactly. Storm. Yeah. Barnstorming. Snowstorming. Storm. Exactly. Barnstorming. Yeah. He'd do it. Well, unless unless you have anything else. Nope. That's that's covered everything I have in my We're notes. Gonna, <laughs> have to turn our attention to Conigan's Kagoon. <laughs> if we must, we must. If we must, we must. All right, here goes, people. This is in black and white. I just want you to know this episode's in black and white. But if you feel like it's in some sort of psychotropic, colorful kaleidoscope, go with a feeling because I think that's the only explanation we have for this story. It's, it's another Canero. one of those type of stories, folks. Yeah. Canero is a young boy with a nose for money. To his parents' displeasure. You can care too much about money. Canero doesn't see it that way. At a children's swap meet in a construction <laughs> site, he finds a cocoon that jingles like it has money inside of it. He takes it home in the hopes that it will grow and make more money. Before he can leave, Daddy Walrus, bulldozer operator extraordinaire, tries to scare the kid's swap meat away by running over it and crushing all their stuff. Daddy Walrus is not popular. At dinner, Canero's parents warn him that if he picks up found money, he may turn into Kanagan. A money-eating monster with a coin purse for his head. If Canero paid them heed, we wouldn't have an episode, would we? <laughs> to his delight, <laughs> the cocoon has grown enormous and is filled with money. Until the cocoon sucks him in, leading to a hallucinogenic interlude which concludes with Canero emerging as Kanigan, the kaiju, the next morning. His parents are terrified of him, so he wanders the streets. He approaches his best friend and convinces him to help him change back. He doesn't know how, but it's going to cost money to do it. That's going to be more difficult than initially thought, since Cunnigan needs constant feeding of money. Soon, the entire gang are cleaned out, 
but it isn't enough. They go to ask God, in the form of a crazy old <laughs> witch lady, <laughs> how to turn Ganegon back into Canero. Her answer, the curse will be broken when Daddy Walrus is upside down. With that answer being useless, they decide to sell Kanagun to a zoo. <laughs> Word of medical <laughs> research. <laughs> Kanagun, in fear for his life, runs away before he hears that they've decided to teach him tricks so that he can earn a living. He causes a furor on the streets when he starts eating someone's dropped money. The police bring his parents, because it's obvious he's their kid. But he escapes with the boys who come to rescue him. Back at the construction site, they try to teach him tricks, but Daddy Walrus soon arrives. The boys extract their revenge on him, but he is most terrified of Cunnigan and accidentally wrecks his bulldozer, leaving him upside down. <laughs> All right, here goes. I can do this. A jet of fire bursts out of Cunnigan's ass. It launches him into the sky when a parachute separates and down comes a restored Canaro. Delighted, he rushes home only to find his parents have turned into Conagons. The end. Oh, boy. Oh, oh my. You know, you know, there are a few episodes of the Twilight Zone that are kind of dorky. Mm hmm. Home, homespun. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not crazy about those, but they are part of the fabric that makes Twilight Zone and I guess we have to put up with these and the one about the the growing turtle. Oh yeah, <laughs> the turtle yeah, grow, the turtle thing. Was. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, anything that starts out with pesky egg thieving kids, you know, it's just downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> You're stealing, know, you know, stealing this... eggs from the hen house, and you know it's like, oh, this is not going to be good. Yep, nope, not good. No. And they sell them at the swap meet. That I... was weird. It was weirder than normal, I guess. But you know, it's all based around money for this episode, or the desire for it. Desire for money. I. Yeah, I mean, really, the kids just forage and bring stuff together, and then they all trade. For it, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's. I'm just gonna go out here and say that that. Well, they're playing Ultra store. Q was not aimed for kids. No, I don't know who this episode was aimed for. I guess this is supposed to be light-hearted, whimsical tale to amuse you on a cold winter night or something. But it's just <laughs> so something. weird. Yeah, and I could not find any. Uh, I could not find any legend. That this is based on. You know, ah, okay. It sounds like something where they were liking taking a real Japanese myth and mm -hmm. turning it into a story. I, I couldn't find that. Huh. Um, possibly because Kanigan is so popular. Yes. If, if you ever see an ultra kaiju anime, they do, you know, cutesy little shorts. Kanigan is always one of them. When I first um, saw it, I thought it was a clam creature. Because the coin purse head looks yeah. like a clam. But I, when I saw it in, what was it, Ultraman Z? Is that Ultraman the, Z, yeah. Ultraman Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the first time I'd actually seen it. And it's like, oh, this is, a, you know, a, a human-sized kaiju that eats money? Okay. Kind of weird. Money. 
Sure, yep. why not? It's even got a little, you know, taxi-style coin counter on its chest, seeing how you know mm-hmm. how full it is. And it's got a zipper for a, <laughs> around its mouth. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, well, you know, uh, it's from something from 1965. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it. I think it's been back in in a at least one other ultra series. But you know, we should we should mention we've mentioned it before. But let's go at it again. Here's one where Ultraman Z, which is the 2020 Ultraman series, had basically a sequel to this. Not. Not a direct sequel mm-hmm. in this case, but they brought the monster back. They had one that had Pegula in it. I, I mean, Ultraman Z even has episodes that directly re- reference the events that happened in an episode in Ultra Q that we haven't reviewed yet. So mm-hmm. it, it's like a direct sequel to this show. They, they were, and I can't figure out why, because it's not like it's a 50th anniversary or 60th anniversary year or something. They just... They decided to do it, but well, it's just it's a nostalgia. The special thing, effects probably. are a lot better in Ultraman Z. Just saying, yeah, just a bit. Conigan's <laughs> <laughs> a lot more convincing too. I think it's more of a digital counter instead of this sort of really tacky one that he's got here in in uh, in the nineteen sixties. But uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's just and it, you know, counter, but yeah, this feels like when I get back to that myth thing, it feels like. I I could totally buy off on somebody saying, you know, if you're picking up found money on the ground, you're going to turn into some sort of something. Yeah. Right? It, I mean, yes, it, it that does. has a f- ring of uh, I don't want to say truth because obviously yeah. <laughs> reference, like, yeah. Like, I don't think Yeah, it feels like they're they're referencing some something of the popular culture or something. It it sounds like the kind of thing that somebody would it's not the kind of thing an American would would come up with, I don't think. No. Oh, don't, you know, us, it's see a penny, pick it up, have good luck, something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. That's a good thing. Day. You're supposed to do that. You're absolutely supposed to pick up money. But I can totally see the Japanese not doing that. I mean, look look at how they throw away their electronics and things and don't they don't do hand-me-down. So, you know, money might be the same way. You know, it's like, yeah, oh, that's I suppose discarded money. I don't know. It's 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 t- tasteless, tacky, tacky. Who knows? You know, yeah. You're you're. It's like you're begging for money. I I really don't know, but I I can I can visualize it in my mind that that's the kind of you could get to that logic somehow. But I can't yeah. verify it, that it's that it's yeah. It real. just it's it yeah. There doesn't seem to be any good reason for this to be. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I just found a picture of Kanagon in one of the Takeshi Castle sets. So, yeah. Okay, I can totally believe that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Weird. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's popular. Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe because he's not threatening. I think so, yeah. And when he comes back in, in Ultraman Z, it's... it's uh, yeah, he's not He's, he's fairly benevolent, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he ate something important that they needed to get back. Oh, uh, gosh, I how did I miss the part where they trying to get their money back and they <sighs> lifted his tail to see of if course. they could get it was coming out the other end. It's like a slot machine. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Deposit only, kids. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that was. <laughs> well, you know, kids have to try. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that did amuse the amuse the heck out of me. 
Um, <laughs> I did find a picture of a Kenagon bank, which I thought would be perfect. I think I want one oh, of yeah. those. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be uh, that in a wallet. A cool little me- <laughs> <laughs> money goes in, exactly. and it comes back out. <laughs> and if it does, you wouldn't want it. Yeah, yeah good point. Yeah, mm. I liked it when they went to the priestess. That was amusing. And why would oh, the kid geez. think of that? But who knows? It's a kid. I, I, I don't I, know. I'm I thinking. Mean, I guess she is a fortune teller. Yep. Maybe. Yep. There's something and um, uh, shaman of some form, and I think she yeah. was smoking something other than incense in her little hut or whatever she was in because those kids didn't seem to be very quite possible, uh, uh, very cognizant yeah, after what? they left. <laughs> yeah, they were they were drunk. Yeah, they, or they were giving the uh, impression of being drunk, like they've been hitting the sacrificial yeah, were, wine or something. Yeah, they were not. I, I not fully I mentally see them do uh, anything like that, but. I think it was just the the incense. No, they were, yeah, they were staggering. They were hiccuping. They were, uh, yeah. It was it was a weird. Wait a minute. A Maybe they were sequence. having sake. Could be. I mean, I know they see. I'm thinking that have that might have trines. been a thing you do. Yeah, ceremonial kind of drinking for the kids. <laughs> well, I mean that would get their that would get church attendance up, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about Daddy Walrus? Uh, Chimatsu. Chumatsu. I think that's how you pronounce it. Chumatsu, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what a what an interesting character. Uh, <laughs> Almost more interesting than the kids. But, hey, <laughs> it's one of those episodes. I will just say that I'm pretty sure that the guy who I, – I called him a – bulldozer operator extraordinaire but really he wasn't he was a supervisor of the bulldozer it was a, operator. He was the head he yelling sat guy. on the bulldozer mm-hmm. yeah yelling guy. the guy he who is driving i'm almost 100 percent certain is ite from ultraman one of the members of mm. the science patrol ah. the, the weapons uh expert uh that so is, that would is... make him the third ultraman uh actor that uh it appeared in the show, of course, before Ultraman. So, right. Yeah, Daddy Walrus. I mean, what the heck is with that mustache? Um, are we buying that that is a mustache that that you've ever seen on? A, I mean, I've seen a mustache like that on a on a Westerner, on a a Caucasian. I have never yeah. seen anything like that on a an Asian. That I think it's special order, except when it's glued on, like yep. that one. Special order. <laughs> we are we are seriously talking about six inch handlebars there. I think it also could be shorthand for he's a bad guy, just like all the mafia guys wear suits and dark glasses. And uh, that's true. Yeah, so I think that's just what that was. Is he was, you know, the, he was the heavy and comedic heavy, so he has to have it, a funny mustache. I might have seen that in some anime too. We we do have to remember that they don't necessarily always conform to a consistent reality hmm. in. In Japanese shows, you know, you can have a show that is basically, I mean, yeah, okay, we're talking about they're fighting monsters, but in a, in a certain sense, it's realistic. And then one episode, they will throw way over the top, almost, and I commented about the Kabuki, but I mean, there is, there is literally a Kabuki episode of, of Ultraman Tiga and that, you know, complete with bizarre 
cherry blossoms flying through stage sets and floodlights. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's really strange. And so, yeah, this could literally be, you know, we're, we're not presenting reality here. This is a, this is a lighthearted fantasy and we're going to, you know, we're going to do the panto. Right. Basically. Uh, I did uh, slap look at... the big mustache on him and go. There was a character in Astro Boy, which predates this. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, scientist guy uh, has a big walrus-like mustache, and they call him Daddy Walrus. I've never seen Astro Boy, so uh, I'm not familiar with I this. I have not really seen it either. Interesting. But, uh, looking at the Maybe pictures, they're... yeah. He's got a big walrusy mustache, so I can see why they would call this guy uh, Daddy Walrus. Yeah. I, yeah, I, that, and yeah. is this a reference to them making a comment about Astro Boy because it's something they would know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Good question. Exactly. Or is it the fact that he's got a big old walrus mustache? Both. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and the father. Let's not. Let's not <laughs> give a pass to the <laughs> father's mustache either. Oh yes. His choice of facial hair was well traumatic at best. Yeah. <laughs> in misguided. the last episode we had a zero pilot in this episode we have a man trying to look like hitler <laughs> well or one of the um uh disney-esque uh propaganda portrayals of uh toho or somebody like that where he's got the the yes, round eyes and the little mustache yeah oh yeah he had the, yeah yeah it was it was unfortunate it was very unfortunate. Um, and we might as well, while we're talking about the parents, so they seem to be settling in just fine as a pair of Kanegans. So they seem at to the be giggling a lot. I guess maybe they're embarrassed that they've been turned into kaiju. <laughs> Except weren't, weren't they like still doling out breakfast and stuff? Oh, table? yeah, they were Was reading papers and stuff. They Don't they eat, don't they eat coins now? <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. It was hmm. it was just a weird scene. It was like, okay, well, it's fine, isn't it? And like, um, well, aren't yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go with this. So, I mean, who do they have to have turned upside down so they get to be turned back into humans? Or is the kid just not going to mention that and kind of go on with it and maybe you yeah, know, go off to join the army earlier? Whatever, who knows. I do. I don't know. I do not know. Or maybe, maybe he will try to teach them tricks so they can go perform in a circus, make money for him. Exactly. Yeah, I um. I want to see the uh, the I, sequel I, to this episode. Yeah, with a man, maybe there will be one. Don't be careful what you ask for. Oh, be careful. Yeah. I do not know. There might be one. There was a sequel for Pegula. There could be a sequel for Kanagon. Yeah. I also think it's kind of amusing that the kids all sit around on top of the construction pipes, which when I was a kid, we used to do that all the time. And and Kanagon's there inside underneath because he can't get up top, presumably. And I love the fact that they're all like, yeah, let's sell him to the zoo. I mean, we can get some money that way. <laughs> well, like, they're kids. We can sell him to medical experimentation. It's like, he's right there. Oh, yeah. Still, they're kids. I don't blame him no for filter. running off. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. 
It's like, oh, wait, they want to see what color my organs are. I'm going to get out of here. Yeah. I appreciate when he cried. The eye stalks, which is oh, yeah. water was like, pouring out. Yeah, like exactly. Fountain. Spurting water. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of the okay. weird episodes that we've seen, I would say this is probably the best. <laughs> I'll go along with that. Yeah. It, it has it has stuff that we can sit there and make uh, fun of. Yeah, we'll call it that. I, I um. So how about <laughs> the scene where he he transforms back? I I'm not I'm not kidding. He's standing on top of a hill. Uh, mm-hmm. And suddenly, flames of jets come out of his arse, yes. and it lofted it into the flies air. up into the air. And I think it it doesn't exactly explode, but it kind of does. There's sort of a pop, and then it splits into two two bits. Yes, and and one of them is <laughs> the boy mm-hmm. in a parachute under silk, and a parachute. <laughs> Which is like hugely up in the sky, mm-hmm. and he's terrible back projection as he flies across the countryside. But for what appears to be miles and miles and miles before landing right back with the kids, uh, more fantasy underneath the silk. Yeah, underneath the silk, a tiny parachute, and, the type you'd use for a small dog, and uh, and he he drags himself out of it, and he's got a full on harness and everything. I mean. Quite the, quite the elaborate harness there. He's all happy. He's back, and off he runs to go home, dragging mm-hmm. the parachute behind him. <laughs> it's just—I would think when he got to the first subway train, they like told him to take it off, or maybe, maybe, was, maybe he thought, well, I, thought I could sell this for a couple of yen. When it <laughs> maybe actually one of his friends his would have. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. Maybe. I think when it filled up with rocks as he's running across <laughs> the rubble field. <laughs> I think when a gust of wind seems to hit keep it, getting heavier. Yeah, that drove too. him out to the sea. That too. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think we're. I think we have. We have worked this episode to the ground. Yes, we've gotten our money's worth. All right. Well, since that's dead. Oh, we we have our money's worth indeed. Yes, <laughs> so we do. Next time we'll be looking at two more episodes: Garamon Strikes Back and the One Eighth Project. Ooh, I can't wait. Mm. Yes, I cannot wait either. John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. <laughs> and I'm glad you're getting better. Yes, me too. <laughs> back, welcome back to health and listeners. Stay safe, and yes. we hope. You'll join us again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series, Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.